You're listening to Live Wild Radio, the part-time adventure podcast. Join us as we explore how outdoor adventures build mind, body, and spirit. We go mountain biking today, and that was my first time. Yeah, you did great. I went through the ringer. So uh, we're in just near Collingwood, but we were in Mansfield today at the Dufferin Forest. Yeah, yeah. Dufferin County Forest. Mm-hmm. And we had Matt join us uh, yeah. from Collingwood Earthship and, and Winston, of course, showing me the ropes. So this is our first time mountain biking together. Mm-hmm. And how, how painful was that for you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, like it, it wasn't bad. Like, it, like I, I ran into the thing where it was very e- relatively easy ride for me. Yeah. Right. Because normally I would just I'm the go, 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 go guy. Yeah. You know, I used to do endurance races, so the whole thing, I'm not particularly fast, but I just go all day long. Right. Um, You know, so that mindset doesn't go away even when I'm fat and old. Uh, (laughs) But no, you did, you did well. Like your biggest thing is just learning to, yeah, it's just letting the bike do the job. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're 45 years old and you're just recovering from a broken elbow, I'm six weeks in the healing process mm-hmm. you don't want to fall again right because no. i've already done that when i had the the sling on and that right. was fun oh geez <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah i i'd say that so sandy trails interesting i've never ever done that before and yeah. i haven't mountain biked since i was like 21 which in short hills niagara really doesn't mean much no um and plus then you don't give a shit you're doing like a lot of free soloing along right. the niagara gorge and yeah, not yeah, realizing yeah. that was a dumb idea right, so because right. you're brain hasn't fully developed and yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so, so fear is very much here public yeah. service announcement to young people if you're less than 25 um uh, the stupid things you do are just because your brain isn't done cooking yet yeah right, um, right. after that anything stupid you do is entirely on you yeah exactly yeah, so, so. Anyway, so yeah, today's episode is with Matt Cote uh, with Collingwood Earthship. Our first experience with Earthships was actually two years ago. Winston and I were in Arizona as part of our Utah backpacking trip. And we ran to this lady and she invited us to her home because she had an Earthship. Right. Amazing. And we were like really, yeah, for breakfast, Southern uh-huh. hospitality. It was I'd amazing. Say. Met yeah. her family. It was amazing. So we, you know, mm-hmm. checked out her place, but we learned so much. Yeah. And so last year we were here for the Beaver Valley I don't even know. If climbing it festival. Yeah. Climbing festival. Yeah. My first mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came back again and we were checking, checking out cool accommodations. And so we came across yours. Right. We were on Airbnb and we're yeah. like, shit, it's booked. So I was intrigued by that and started to check you out a bit. I'm like, oh, right. this Matt guy, that's kind of cool. Can we put it on our podcast? Yeah. But because at that time we were very strict on outdoor adventures. Turns out you're a rock climber and mountain biker. I'm like, yeah, we can swing that. And I think our audience is going to be really interested in this because one, uh, most people can't afford a house these days. Yeah. And I'm hearing Earthships are affordable so so much as you're willing to put in the time and the mm-hmm. labor. It is a lot of time and labor, yeah, for sure. It took me two years. We decided to like take it over like over the course of two two building seasons. Uh, and that way you could just sort of spread the financial burden of it over those two years and, and just the amount of work. The like you just said, like it's a sheer, a lot of work pounding, yeah. like over a thousand tires. And so for people that don't understand tires. what an earth ship is, it's, it's a house that's built into the earth and, um, you don't need to have like a hill or berm on your property. You just need to have even flat properties fine, but you need to bring in dirt so that the tires work as a, like an insulation, but also as a, like a thermal battery at the back of the house. So the house is South facing. So it's facing mm. the sun all the time, all year round. It's collecting that passive solar thermal energy, you know, by being facing the sun. Uh, and then that solar thermal energies is getting stored in the concrete floor, which is attached to the back wall which is those tires that we spoke about so those tires go nine feet tall and on this house it's 120 feet long so it's a huge thermal mass thermal battery that 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 heat energy can get stored in so then in the fall seasons when it's cooler or the winter it's cooler but the sun's been out then that and in the evening when the sun goes down that heat will radiate back out and moderate the temperature in the inside of the house so that's one of the benefits of an earth ship and and how it's built and designed yeah well, and then, then the fact that it looks like a cross between, like, your particular house is like a cross between, like, a, uh, a Frank Lloyd Wright right. kind of, yeah. you know, yeah. thing all glass from the front. Mm. 
and then um, a Hobbit home because it's built into the hillside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you, you look know. at it from the back, you can't even see it's there aside from like a oh, roof wow. line. Yeah, yeah. So people that bike by on the trail, they just see this long roof line. Um, and on that long roof line, it's metal. And so we're able to collect the water off the roof and store that in cisterns that are buried in the earth and don't freeze. And we use that rainwater to flush our toilets so that we have a lower water bill and water consumption, you know? Yeah. And, th- and that's sort of one of the things that, that's super cool with, um, We'll, we'll call it ecological living like because yeah. it, it, obviously this is the space you're in yeah is there yeah. like a, a right terminology for no i mean like i said earlier everything's everyone sort of looks at it differently as far as what they can apply to their house so maybe not their people aren't gonna go out and build an earthship but you could collect the rainwater off your roof and actually you could store it in your basement in a bladder mm-hmm. that blows up and then you could pump that water that was your rainwater from that bladder up to your toilets or, you know, so there's ways that you can sort of integrate these styles and these building principles into your existing home without even having to build a new earth ship, you know, a new own house. Yeah. Cause fundamentally, you know, we're talking about the whole idea and this is societally about reducing our carbon footprint. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously if you're using water yeah. or as much. Using less water, but um, using the rainwater. Yeah. And then what other things do you have sort of built in here? Do you like? Uh, yeah, so that same rainwater, just to finish that thought, gets used on our outdoor gardens. And so we're growing food both inside the earthship and outside the earthship. So in the front, the 10 feet of the living space at the front of the earthship, there's a 100 foot long greenhouse. And so you're growing your food inside year round in this, basically in this dirt that actually gets watered by our gray water. So when you have a shower and your water would typically just go out to the sewer or in my case into my septic tank, before it gets to the septic tank it actually fills up this basin inside the planter cell it's called a planter cell where we plant our food and then it percolates up and waters the plants from below passively so after my plants are established and i've got them going past the seedling form then they can just pull pull the water up and do you treat that water at all no yeah so it goes through a little bit of gravel and it goes through some sand there's some layers like it doesn't just go straight into dirt it goes through a layer of gravel and a layer of sand but you know everything that we're using in the house is you know we're not using bleaches and and chemicals Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so everything's natural that we're using for cleaning products and so yeah we don't have to treat the water before it waters the plants from a cost savings measure right how affordable is this house and to run it can you talk a bit about that yeah for people who are very conscious about money and mm -hmm. they might go oh that is interesting right right yeah yeah so for in in my case it's a little different because my bills are all tied to these other three homes that are in the front of my property so it's hard to dissect and figure out Mm. the amount of water and the amount of electricity because I'm just in a unique situation where I've got four dwellings on one property, uh, which is the way I was able to afford it was just that these rentals were here. And then I eventually built my place after. Uh, to answer the question, though, it cost me about the same amount of money to build this house um, as it would a regular house. The difference is in the in the savings. So with our with our like solar energy that we're you know mm-hmm. making electricity and feeding that back to the grid, we got into the last buyback program ah. from the government. Yeah, where they pay us twenty eight cents a kilowatt. Good. And I think in the past it was like fifty or more cents a kilowatt. Yeah. I, at one point it was eighty cents a kilowatt mm-hmm. you were paid. But then the solar panels were more expensive, right? So my ten kilowatt solar panel system cost me about thirty four thousand, mm-hmm. and I make about three thousand a year from the solar panels so in about 11 years they'll be paid off so yeah it's definitely worth it for sure what's the lifespan on panels 20 30 years at least the solar panels aren't the issue it's more the batteries that degenerate too right and so by right now i'm just feeding the grid so as battery technology gets better then i'll be able to like sink my money into that and and be off the grid in this house fully um, with that 10 kilowatt system easily. But what I'm hoping to do is, is is when Teslas get even better with their production is that they'll have, you'll park your car in your garage and that'll be your battery. So you'll store your energy in your car battery and then your car battery can actually power your house. Sort of talk of that idea that they have such a huge battery storage in, in your and so I, I've put my money down on one of those Tesla Cybertrucks for when they come out. Nice. And, and then I'm hoping by that time they've got it. Because right now you can only put energy in, you can't take it out. 
but I'm hoping by that time that they'll have like an inverter system within the cars okay. that they're just getting smarter and, and more forward thinking like that. So we talked about energy and water. We talked a bit about, so mm-hmm. I assume you're using hundred percent naturally uh, water that you've collected or do you also right. rely so, on city water? Yeah. So we had to tie into the city water as well. They wouldn't allow us to just collect rainwater off our roof and, and make that potable. Um, and I think part of that is because the, well, the water is right at the curb, right at the front of our property. So we had, we had to, for, you know, for the next owner down the line that they would still have a, a line that was built into this house. So you have to take into account that it's not going to be you living in the house for the, the life of the house. And that's the other thing, but the life of this house is probably hundreds of years old. Usually people are tearing down houses mm. and rebuilding or adding on. This is, this house is built for you know, to last for a long time. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And do you plan on staying here forever? Yeah. Or do you like the idea? Yeah. Till death do I part. Yeah. 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 So you're committed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the other beauty is it, like an earthship is one floor. It's, it's, it's a bungalow. So it's, mm-hmm. it's easy to get around. You step in one step into your house and, and you're at that level. There's no basement. There's no, um, you, they they can be built with a second floor. Um, there are some of those in New Mexico um, built with a second floor, but typically they're just one one floor. So that's makes it easier for construction too. So when people are thinking about building this as as mm-hmm. something they they could build themselves, then um, just the you know the simpler the structure is, the, the easier it is for people to understand and build for sure. So to recap, um, is it on average that the cost that you put into this is on average the same as it is to build a new house, except there's just all these benefits operating? That's right. And yeah. that's on average. That's on average. Now, so people have definitely built their Earthship for, you know, I've seen $70,000. Um, mine probably cost me about $350,000, $400,000 to build. And that was with me as the general contractor overseeing and and pulling in people to do the electrical and, and the plumbing mm. and the, all the framing and stuff like that. But then I did a lot of the woodwork that you see behind me here um, with the logs. And we used, um, basically there was a, a guy that builds log homes locally. And so typically the tires are, are covered in plaster and cement uh, and have like an adobe finish to it. Yeah. That's, that's really nice. Uh, and I tried it out w- in my garage. I'll show you guys later. But the clay plaster I had was red and it, I just didn't really like the hue of it. And so I came up with this other idea of, of reclaiming these log cutoffs that were from a log home building company. The guy said, yeah, you can take as much as you want. You just give me a case of beer per load that you take away from my property. I said, sure. Did you get done. a lot of that? People yeah. Just giving you stuff in kind? Or? Yeah. I mean, that was the other cool thing about doing a project like this. So we started like a, a Facebook group and, and and, you know, started to try to get some some interest from the community. So I found it really beneficial being building right in Collingwood, so right near a town, mm-hmm. so that you're able to access, you know, both tools and building material, but then volunteers would come out on a daily basis to, to help out. Yeah, and to, to sort of poke the nose around, see what's happening. And if they were interested to, maybe to learn, then they would start building too. And maybe there's somewhat of a retirement community here and people are looking for that next little interesting hobby or something yeah. to tinker into yeah <laughs> it's definitely like a, a healthy sort of retirement area where people who are health health conscious are, are retiring here to stay active and, and fit for sure yeah because you, you see a lot of like uh um really fast gray hairs around calling yeah it, like yeah. out on their you know road bikes mountain bikes yeah you'll see them skiing in the winter yeah you know because mm-hmm. this really is a gateway playground yeah um, it is it's because you've got some of the best mountain biking in Ontario. Mm-hmm. You've got some of the best rock climbing in Ontario. Some of the best hiking. Yeah, uh, and then you got Georgian Bay right there. Yeah, want to go out on the water? Exactly. Yeah, which I go there every day to swim at the end of my workday. Like, it's like my bathtub. Yeah. <laughs> How cold is it though? <laughs> it's not that cold actually. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. By mid July, it, it warms up to okay. like a reasonable temperature. Our hotel yeah. in or whatever. The motel is right across the street. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just walk and jump in. I'll shout right. over there. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the thing for the listener, like this place, like it looks like you'd expect to see like a, a house in the Hollywood Hills. Right. Um, and yeah. I only know what those look yeah. like just because an ex-pro rider, Phil Gaiman, mm-hmm. has his own YouTube channel called yeah. the Worst Retirement Ever, uh, where all he's doing, he still maintained a bunch of sponsorships. So yeah. all he does is ride his bike around. Yeah trying to capture the king of the mountain Strava. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah. from everybody. Right. So he has like I all, think I've uh, seen that. Yeah. Seen he's that. got almost all the ones in LA. Yeah. But so every video that he's riding in right. the, you know, Hollywood Hills. Yes. Is you're seeing houses that at least the front look like yours. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then inside here, like this is not a tiny home. <laughs> no, no, it's 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 over three thousand square feet. So oh about thirty two hundred square feet. Yeah. So we're sitting in about six hundred square feet, which is my living room and and dining room and kitchen. Sort of a great room, and it's a nice sort of open space. And I mean, that's a thing that people often think about our ships is that because you're built into the into the dirt, and and that's going to be dark and. Um, and so I tried to make my windows at the front large enough that, that you wouldn't feel that. And obviously with the sun shining in all day, um, yeah, you, you hardly need any lights um, mm-hmm. used. So that's, you know, to go back to your energy saving questions, like that's one way that we save energy is that we're not using our lights all day until the evening. Do you have to put them on? So early in the morning, you might pop them on or, and then into the evening, you'll have your lights on. But otherwise, you're just using natural ambient light from, from the sun. Yeah, like it, yeah. it's lit like a photo studio in it's here. Beautiful. Like it's got that yeah. soft yeah. wraparound lighting. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it makes everybody look better. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, one of the things, because obviously you don't have any air conditioning on in here, do you? No. No. Yeah. So yeah. when you walk through the front, because you're kind of in the greenhouse, mm-hmm. it's kind of a bit hot. Yeah. It's warm and in there. With the door to the greenhouse area still open, mm-hmm. but as soon as you step, like, through the door into the next glassed-in room, yeah. which is where we are. Yeah, like massive drop in temperature. Yeah, it, it's super comfortable. In here. Yeah, yeah, and it is. It's hot as balls out right now. It is. Yeah, it's <laughs> over thirty degrees right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the way the place is cooled, it's so it's passive. We passively heated. I explained that by the sun, then passively cooled by the earth. So. The sun's facing us this way, so but then we're, we're buried in the earth. Two-thirds of the building is buried in the earth. So what I like to say is that the house is passively working off of geothermal principles. So that's like how people often think of like a really efficient way to heat and cool their houses with geothermal where they bury a pipe in the ground and then they use that. Um, that water that's piped through the ground at that five foot level and has that moderate temperature, then you just heat or cool that liquid a little bit more before you put it through a forced air system. So that's that's geothermal. But I don't have all that. All I have is just being buried in the earth. So then my house is going to stay at that moderately sort of cool temperature. It's like you picture like going into a little bit of a cave or something like that, and it's cooler in there. Well, that's the same here as the back of the house is sort of in that cave. We're buried at the back like nine feet deep and 15 feet long. So then you can see this little tube behind me here. So that tube goes through that 15 feet of earth. And so by it being at a low point and then having uh, vents in the ceiling up there, it draws the air sort of through this space Mm -hmm. passively and up that vent through the stack effect. So you're just drawing cool air through that 15 feet of earth and then through this space and up through those little whirlybird vents at, at the roof line. And that's how it's being passively cooled. So each room has these cooling tubes basically that you leave open for the summer and then you close up for the winter. And it's just, just works thermal dynamics so winter how is it heated so winter i um decided to heat the floor um and so we've got um water loop through the floor uh and so there's six different zones and so it's heated with two things either wood i'm burning wood to Mm -hmm. to heat the water that pumps through the floor and then if the wood heat's not enough and i need to add a bit more heat because i haven't had a fire safe over the night or something like that then a propane on-demand propane system will kick in and, and heat the the water that way so that the wood heats the water which also heats for our showers and our like domestic water for water for doing our dishes and stuff like that but it also does the the in-floor heating yeah and it's all just sort of uh, as a thermostat so it you know looks and feels like like a normal house in that sense and the nice thing about having in-floor heating is that you just don't have this forced air dry sort mm-hmm. of blowing air that circulates kind of in the house and it's it's quiet it's just quiet yeah and it's it's a lot nicer and i didn't realize it until i went and lived for again for a bit at a a a place with with forced air and i was like wow it's just so much nicer yeah back here interesting Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so how the heck like what motivated you to do this and what kind of 
experience do you need to do this? Because how do you know what you're going to, what you're planning is going to work? Yeah. Like, so, I mean, I wasn't a builder by any means. I, I ran a, a tour company, Free Spirit Tours for about 20 years up here. And, Which was um, what? For, tour company for what? Uh, we, t- we take people canoeing. We took people canoeing, kayaking, rock climbing and caving. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it's a big tour company up here in Collingwood that, that still going and doing really well through COVID. And so, um, yeah, so, so we ran that and I recently sold that last, last year, but that tour company, you know, had some unique property space as well that I was able to play around with building on, on the Beaver River and the Beaver Valley. And, and so when I went to, I went to New Mexico for, for two months and that's, I, I had met a guy named Matt, um, who lived in, uh, Guelph and when I, when I was down in Arizona and so I, this guy Matt and, uh, from Guelph said listen I've signed up for this Earthship Academy program you should come with me and I said all right when I get back to Canada I'll sign up so I signed up when I got back this was about seven years ago and, uh, and at that time it was just for fun yeah it was just to learn about it I mean I knew I wanted to build one okay. I've wanted to build so one did. since I was you know in my in my early 20s I had learned about it um, so it's been a lifelong journey really but um, so I go with him for for two months down in New Mexico and and learn with Michael Reynolds, who's kind of the founder. And so if you haven't heard of Michael Reynolds or Garbage Warriors, one of his big documentaries that that's a really good one to watch. And it's an older one, Garbage Warrior. And then one of the newer ones that they did was called New Solutions. Uh, New Solutions is on YouTube, and I think Garbage Warriors on YouTube as well. Um, but they're really good sort of intro to what is an Earthship and and how does it work and how could I make that sort of jump into this so they they had a school and basically the school um saved um it's called earthship biotexture is michael reynolds company and they were building earthships in in the new mexico area and um and they came up with this idea to have a school and so there was about 30 of us from about 10 10 from canada 10 from the states and then another 10 from all over the world that came came to do this program so we lived with those people and and learned from them and and uh and we did both in-class workshops and then and then building workshops out, out in the field and so it was really neat living down in new mexico it was it was an adventure we went climbing down there with with people from from the the that lived down there that knew knew the place well. So that was fun and and just kind of adventuring and touring around there. They had amazing hot springs too, actually in New Mexico and in Taos. Yeah. I love hot springs. So, um, so we did a bit of hot spring dipping and, uh, but came back and, and, kind of built like a little mini trial or ship to see if I could sort of apply the principles that Where'd I learned. Uh, just down on a property, yeah, in the area. Got it. And, um, and then, I got my, I, I took some plans to the town of Collingwood and said, would you guys support this type of a building here in Collingwood? And they said, yeah, the, the, the chief building official said, yeah, sure. I, I'd love to help you out with that. And he brought in his other building officials and, and said, listen, Matt's going to try to build this here in Collingwood. I want you guys to support him. And here's sort of what he's looking to do. He became their pet project. Yeah, it was amazing. They had so much support from the town of Collingwood uh, as far as the building department was amazing. So I, I really appreciated that. And so, I brought a, a builder from New Mexico that had worked with Michael Reynolds and um, and then along with some plans from a local architect and the engineers. You have to have stamp plans by a couple of mechanical engineer and a structural engineer. So all these plans, of course, cost a bit of money. So you got to save up a chunk for just even plans and buying your land and, and stuff like permitting and stuff like that. But once we got going, it was really just sort of tapping into... I, f- I found it was really important for me to have like a couple of people on site every day to help with the building because it's just so labor intensive. So I start, I just decided I would pay like three or four people that were kind of a minimum wage, sort of always going to be there. Here you go. Mm-hmm. And, and they help out and learn, but they get a little something out of it. And then other people would just come and volunteer for the day or for a couple right. of days. And yeah. And then head back home. Um, but yeah, that was sort of how it, how it got started was, was going there to New Mexico sort of being immersed into that culture of earthships. Michael Reynolds has got like a 50 to 100 acre property down there that um, has like probably at the time he had like 40 or 50 earthships. There's probably more like 60 or 70 earthships there now. And, and they're all living off grid. Wow. And, and he just sells them off or he rents them? Yeah, some or? of them he builds and then and then sells. Some of them they um, are, are owned by individuals. It's almost like a bit of a, uh, a community that has like 
bought into his development basically. Mm -hmm. So people, you know, I don't know if they pay anything for, you know, the land management as far as like snow plowing or anything like that. But, but yeah, a lot of them are individually owned, owned or ships that were either built by the owner that lives in it now or, or then since sold to someone else that wanted to live in ownership, but didn't want to, you know, put have, have the time and energy to put into the labor of it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, and it's really growing here in Ontario, uh, as I was saying earlier about the Facebook page and, and just sort of watching that blossom and grow. Both I had like a calling with Earthship, but then we created our Earthship Ontario page where people just who wanted to share like-minded information, um, you know, started started that so that people could post and, and, and share information that way. So that way, anyone who's new to the idea of, of an Earthship can can use that as a resource to read back through as to what people are asking and, and what kind of answers people are getting and needing. Do you know how many Earthships there are in Ontario, if you had to hazard a guess? I would guess that there would be in Ontario maybe like... 20 or so yeah i think i think a few people have built them and then you know they're not as public about it i've definitely been fairly public about mine just so that there's a bit of an open door policy with with a lot of them so that people can just learn from what Mm -hmm. what others have done but i think other people will build them and just want to have their house as their home and and keep it private right Mm -hmm. which is understandable and respectful as well but yeah there's there's uh i I did go to a couple different ones in ontario before i built mine Mm -hmm. um which were designed by uh, not by michael reynolds but used michael reynolds's principles uh designed by another architect in ontario and they they both um yeah, did well with their builds and, and, and had some interesting information to share with me that I took into account when I decided how to build mine. And so you definitely got to do that kind of research where you go and and sit in one and, and feel it and, and know like how, how would you make it yours kind of thing. Um, and, and that's what we do within my little mini workshop series is, is people come here for either one or two days and to do like a workshop to understand what is an airship, what I have the, the skill set, what would it take to build mm-hmm. one and, 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 you know, is it something that I'd want to do for myself? So, yeah, so we've hosted a couple of those this summer and, and we might host some in the fall too, if, if people are interested, I haven't posted any currently, but on our, um, WordPress site, we've, we've got two that we've, we'll have hosted in, in one in July and one in August. Yeah. So anybody listening, if this is something you want to do, definitely get in contact with Matt. Yeah. Check out the show notes. We'll have all those links and we're going to yeah. Uh, yeah. link the, uh, don't hesitate to yeah, reach the, out. the <laughs> video there. Um, so obviously you learned how to do, you know, a, a chunk of the knowledge came in New Mexico Yeah. and we were talking before we went on air about obviously it's kind of like a little bit of a different environment down there. Mm-hmm. Now you said it's in Taos, which is a, a higher altitude place. So they will get snow in the winter. They do. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I'd assume it's not nearly as wet as it is around here. That's true. Yeah. So when they would bury their cisterns in the back of their earthship, they would have about four of them uh, that they would want them to be able to fill. And, and so they would need m- more water capacity than we do. Cause we'll see a bit more rain through our shoulder seasons than they did. So I only have two buried in mine. And also with the knowledge that I was just going to be able to use it, I could have used it for my washer dryer. They would have let me do that, but I just kept that to the town water as well. So I'm just able to use mine to flush my toilets and to water the gardens at the front of the back of the property. Um, but yeah, so aside from that, yeah, I mean, the, the other interesting thing that they did in, in New Mexico is they had uh, what was called a blackwater cell. And the blackwater cell uh, was outside. It was before your, your blackwater, which is basically from your toilet, uh, and, and from the sink in the kitchen. Because um, the sink in the kitchen will get particulate down it that you don't want it. To, you know, like just the stuff from your food goes down that sink. And so you don't want that clogging up your, your gray water planter cell. So they figured that out early on in Earthship Design to, to not try to put that um, kitchen water in, into the gray water planter cell. Um, anyway, so they don't have great soil. We were talking about this too, how they, they don't have really good soil out, out in the desert there. And so in, for them to be able to grow a tree, they would have all your, your black water would go through this planter cell out, outside that would enable them to have some, some vegetation, a tree or, or bushes or whatever that they wanted to grow out front, fruit trees or whatever uh, there in New Mexico. Whereas here, you know, we've got great soil. We can plant whatever we want in the front of our houses and it's probably going to grow. Um, but so that was a different design that they had to do in New Mexico. But otherwise, 
you know, we're, we're at a similar temperatures, like they get to minus 20, minus 30 down there. So the building design, this is called a global model earthship. And so there's a couple different models of earthships, mm. but this is the latest design is a global model earthship. And so it, it just means that the greenhouse is now separated from the living space. And mm. in earlier designs, there wasn't this glass wall in between the two. Uh, it was all open, and so that heat would have just radiated right into this space. And now we would typically keep that door closed that's open right now uh, so that that heat doesn't come into this room. However, in the in the fall or in the winter, you do want those doors open because any of the sun that comes directly into that space and heats up that space, you want to come into this space. Mm. So you're actually controlling your temperature just by opening and closing the doors. So it's pretty neat how passive and, and how it works. So right now, also, like... We're facing the south, but none of the sunlight, you can look in the greenhouse, none of the sunlight is actually hitting the greenhouse. It's all hitting outside, right? But as the sun uh, angle comes lower in the sky, which will be in the, in the winter, the sun angle will be crossing the horizon lower. And, and then the sun is directly coming into the house. And, and then that's, that sunlight, is therefore, is then heating the, the concrete slab, um, which is about six inches. And then that also hitting the tires in the back. So that's how, how it works with, with the change of seasons, basically. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and I guess, I guess, you know, when you're planning that out, there's got to be a whole lot of math going on. Of that's getting right. Getting all your angles right. Exactly. Yeah, so the math is, is really... You want to find out your lowest sun angle and you want your windows to be 90 degrees to that lowest sun angle. And that was one of the things that I did a little bit different was, so typically if you look at a picture of an airship online, its front windows are all sloped on an angle. Mm -hmm. And so they, they're, they're sloped for that reason. So that when the sun's at its lowest angle, it's going to be 90 degrees and it's going to get the deepest as it can in, into, the, into the living space. Um, mine, I went vertical. So I found out that if I did them sloped, it was going to be really low angle, but it would have cost me 10 grand more to have them install them at that sloped angle. And then you have that chance of the water sitting at the bottom of the window sill and potentially creeping into your house. So I said, no, let's just build them straight up. It'll be easier. And so that's what we did with ours and, and cheaper too. So how technically inclined would you say you were, are to take on this project? I know you went to the Academy. Yeah. I mean, it's all like learned on, on the job kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and definitely, you know, by, by being down there, you learned a ton in the Academy. Um, not enough to build your own house, but enough to be my general contractor. And so you bring in the people to, to pour the concrete and, right. and you bring them to do the mechanical work. So if you're can organize things and, and, mm -hmm and and plan then then yeah you could build your own house like yeah. the general contractor i don't know how much they take but they take a chunk obviously for their time to to bring in these mm -hmm. tradespeople, and then they do some of the building themselves whether it's the the framing or the drywall they do some of those things themselves but you can hire all those individual contractors you know as yeah. needed on the timeline and save yourself a lot of money i just had the fortunate position of you know with my job being like a, an owner in a position where I could, you know, step away from work, but still have work be, be going and, and making money while, while building this, this building. Yeah. So, and, and now I, you know, for work, I just, I do people's gardens. I, I take this knowledge of, of growing food and I, I use that in the community to, to run like a community garden. So we have a couple community gardens here in Collingwood. One of them has um, 15 plots behind the airship that are raised beds. Hmm. And the other one is about 90 plots that's in the center of Collingwood and that land is donated. And define, so, a, define a community garden. What is it exactly? Yeah. So for us, a community garden is people rent a 10 foot by 15 foot plot okay. and they grow their own food in that plot and then they do what they want with it. And okay. so some people in our community garden have six of those 10 by 15 foot plots. Mm -hmm. So they've got a lot of space. And so then they make, they grow more food than they can eat and then they Trade. actually take it to the food bank. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Got so it. there is some trading that goes on for sure As of well. like, yeah, sharing and trading that yeah. happens. And that's the nice thing about a community garden is that you could go into that type of environment, not knowing much about growing your own food. But if you're happen to be growing beside someone that typically does yeah. know something. So there's a lot of information sharing as well. And, and yeah. so that's what we do is we host workshops nice. on how to grow your own food. That's the not-for-profit model of Free Spirit Gardens. It's cool because um, I live in an apartment. So anybody yeah. else that's in the same boat, and right. my God, like my house, like what I, when I owned a house, I mm -hmm. had a two, almost a quarter, an acre and a quarter, yeah. a quarter of an acre. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. 
had a greenhouse. So you can imagine, I love wow. gardening. Yeah. So yeah. going into a condo, uh-huh. this is the first year because I'm working from home. Right. I actually have the ability to water my plants. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I can actually take care of them. Yes, yeah. And I'm yeah. relying on stormy weather this weekend to uh-huh. my plans. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> it yeah, should come tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, when when last weekend Catherine was away with her kids, mm-hmm. and uh, both before work and after work, every day she was away. Yeah, I'm going over to her place. Yeah, well, like I I spent more time at her place with her not there. Right, because I'm watering her damn plants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's where you need like some sort of like you know automated system that irrigation system yeah. every time uh-huh. every time you take a shower the plants get watered right well you know like, what he's on to something so, yeah. yeah yes and i actually youtubed it and so i have like a a, a gallon of water and it's yeah. got holes in it so i uh-huh. put water in it and it just seeps out of it right so i'm trying that and that's yeah. actually been good because it, uh-huh. it's really sucking up a lot of water but yeah but yeah. i sleep with you so you'll do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyway um so yeah community gardens i was actually looking for that mm-hmm. and i don't even know if it's in our region or in cambridge um there's something down the street but it's for the food bank right but um yeah i would really like to do it for myself and then whatever access for sure i think that's a great mm-hmm. great concept yeah i think a lot of communities and towns are doing it for sure it's so it's just nice. a matter of finding out where and who's who's sort of managing it because sometimes it's managed by the town yes. and the parks and rec department and sometimes it's it's a private organization that's doing it um and so yeah you just got to kind of do your research and ask around but um we have been fortunate we get a grant usually every year from the town of collingwood and, and they help us to out with some of our outreach programs of teaching, you know, kids from high schools are able to walk to our, our community gardens. So that'll happen. And, and if, if uh, school goes back, which I think it looks like it is now. Yeah. So that's great. Um, so hopefully those kids will be able to get out and, and, and into the community garden again this, this year with, uh, with COVID. Yeah. Cause the, that whole thing of, uh, uh, being able to get more in touch with your food, Mm-hmm. you know even, yeah. if you're, even if you're not growing all your food but like mm-hmm. seeing what goes into yeah growing any of it yeah you know it because it, whether it's uh uh you know just growing like some tomatoes on your balcony like you're doing yeah um yeah. or potatoes or you know whatever it yeah is. yeah the uh, potatoes are in the ground and, yeah you know or, or yeah your garlic how and when to plant your garlic that you plant one clove of garlic in the fall then in the spring you're going to get a full clove of garlic and just yeah those little things and yeah so we teach people about compost and how a compost works and and because we'll have yeah at our community gardens that's the other thing that they get so they pay 45 dollars, they get their 10 foot by 15 foot plot but then they also get uh yeah it's cheap yeah access to compost and and wood chips and and then access to these workshops yeah so it's it's a good it's a good sign me up yeah you know, a bit of a commute, but uh-huh. bit of a commute, yeah. <laughs> so that's what we've done with with the money from the town this year. Was was we were we had to put the workshops on hold for for a month or two mm-hmm. um, while sort of this COVID flushed out. But now that we're onto this stage, we're we're able to host groups with social distancing and, and still get some learning to happen. So nice. it's it's a good time of year to do that. So I think our next one's going to be seed saving. We're going to do a workshop on seed. Yeah, well, and that, that's where you know you, your heirloom tomatoes and that kind of thing come from, right? Mm-hmm. Like people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had to save those seeds exactly. Yeah, you yeah. Know, because you you get the the whole uh, like a lot of the modern um, genetically modified foods yes. uh, have a plus that you know because um, I'm not going to just demonize big agriculture completely, yeah. but because the the increased yield that they have has mm-hmm. fed a lot of the world. Yeah, yeah. But quite honestly, like a modern tomato. You know, like a commercial tomato yeah. is, is shit. Yeah. It's got no flavor. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh-huh. it, you know, they grow bigger, they grow more of them, all that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But but if you get some of those, like, hmm. you know, old school beefsteak tomatoes mm-hmm. that have, like, they've got a, 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 like a taste of them. Like, I remember, yeah. like, tomato sandwiches, like a BLT when I was a kid. Right, right. Yeah. Taste a lot different. Like, there was this richness to the tomato yeah. that you don't get from... And I think people say that a lot about carrots too, right? That yeah. they can really taste the difference in carrots that you've just fresh picked from the ground, cleaned, and then you bite into that, and it's it's so much different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and certain obviously certain vegetation or certain vegetables, yeah, are the kind of thing that that actually preserve well, like potatoes. Yeah, you know, if you've got a yeah, root onions, cellar, uh, yeah, you know, so garlic, 
And then you'll, because obviously with a lot of things, like whether it's beans or tomatoes, they're not going to sit well. So then you got to get into, you know, either freezing or canning canning. and stewing. Yeah. You know, or bottling your mason jars. Like you got the whole thing. Uh Do you do that? Do a lot of canning? Uh, I don't, but I mean, again, we've had workshops on that in the past. We might do some more workshops on that. My mom's good at that. Yeah. Um, So she sometimes will do stuff like that. Yeah. Whether it's fruits that we'll, you know, make into jams. That's one of the interesting things. A lady in the back has these like bushes of black currants and stuff like that. So she makes her own jams. Mm -hmm. And so being that I host host them here, she said to me the other morning, she's like, oh, do you like these kind of currant jams? I was like, yeah, that'd be great. She's like, okay, there'll be one in the corner of my, a plot you know next week so you just grab it it's yours and i was like oh it's so nice you know right that's the best part i think is the community like the yeah. friendships and the mm-hmm. like it's it's always i we have a friend when she she listens to the podcast she's gonna love it that i'm probably talking about this but yeah. she's always been very uh big on you know making beautiful meals with love right and often yes. you know yes. with my ex we used to go over there and make meals with her and she'd yeah. teach me so many things like mm-hmm. she taught me canning like i was never that homemaker right? yeah yeah but um that concept of you know putting love into what you're making and yeah. enjoying it and mm-hmm. you know, definitely the fresh fruits and vegetables yeah and yeah yeah it's very very cool but the friendships you make right it is totally about the friendships yeah i love i love hosting potlucks here like we'll nice. often have people over here and we'll pick stuff from the garden out front and bring it in here and and then cook it all together and yeah yeah and play games and hang out and yeah enjoy the space yeah yeah so, so it's a different it. philosophy on life it is this concept of what you're doing and obviously with the yeah. gardens at the back yeah free spirit gardens yeah, yeah. so yeah. talk a bit about that you, you obviously have a passion here yeah yeah i mean free spirit garden started it was weird i i owned a house on the main street on here ontario and i it needed some some changes to the to the landscape there and i i um, decided to do a flagstone path. I took up some flagstone pieces of rock and, and laid them down into this path. And I was like, oh, that was a really fun project. It took me about a week or so on and off sort of be- before and after work. But I really enjoyed the process. And and um, and then I was at a party and um, some friends of mine, maybe I was in their car afterwards and they were talking about it would be cool to um, to help people grow their own food. And this was about seven years ago now. And, uh, and so I was like, that sounds like a great idea. I said, do you mind if I steal that idea and make it a business? And they said, no, sure, go for it. And so we started out as a non-for-profit instead of doing a for-profit business, like I already had one going and that was good, but I wanted to do something to give back to the community. And this was their way to give back to the community was by, um, starting free spirit gardens and then finding some land to, to be able to allow people access to. So the interesting thing about the Cook Community Gardens uh, in the middle of Collingwood is that a fellow by the name of Ted Cook was a teacher at CCI, or one of our local high schools, and he, in the summers, would grow food there. Uh, and so um, his wife, um, Sue, uh, he's since passed away due to cancer, um, but his wife, Sue, and Tim Cook still live on the property and in the front of the property, but in the back, they've got about three or four acres there that they just have donated to us to allow people to grow their own food. So it's, it's been an amazing sort of partnership with them and it allowed sort of what used to happen on the land by his dad, Ted Cook, used to grow food there and sell it to our local Loblaws. But back then it was National Grocers. He would he would just grow food in the middle of Collingwood, take it downtown, and then they would sell it and distribute it to the community. So that was really locally grown food at, at that time. And um, so we started out with probably six plots. And... Um, and like I said, now we're up to 90 plots. So in the in the course of those seven years, we've, whatever, ten, tenfold have grown every year. It's amazing. In seven years. And Yeah, in seven years. And, and this year, we ha- at, the, at the end of last year, we had 68 plots. This year, we had to put in 24 new plots because of this sort of COVID push where people were concerned about the availability of food. And, mm. grow- and so growing your own food became a real popular, interesting thing to do this year not only for the community garden, but also for people's backyard gardens. So we, we build like out of cedar, we build these raised beds and install them in people's backyards and fill them with dirt so that they can grow their own food in their own backyard if they've got the space. Um, 
so yeah, so that's the model basically that we have these couple of community gardens. If people don't have space in their house, they live in an apartment or a condo, then they can grow in those spaces. And if they, they do have the space in their backyard, then we'll come to their yard and coach them and teach them. Uh, and the coaching and teaching, that's been something I, I, I'm more of like a, I can get stuff done kind of guy. I'm not as much, to be honest, and into the, the, the knowledge of planting and growing food is, is I've been networking now with, with some master growers in the area. And each master grower, when they go and get, and get this certification, they are usually in, in you know, a certain area or township, and then they need to service that area or township as a master grower and, and, and disseminate their information that they know and understand and that they're passionate about. So it's a part of their mandate from their schooling that once they are schooled on how to be a ma- to like have this designation as a master gardener, that they need to offer these free workshops. So that's been such a benefit to network nice. with a couple of them here in Collingwood. And now they're, they're helping us to run these workshops with people. Yeah. So, to, you know, go back to your point about community and friendships that that's definitely, you know, whether it's, it's, you know, your outdoor adventure community and friendships or it's your mm-hmm. you know grow, building a home Lifestyle. network or whether it's your gardening network like yeah you have to you have to sort of reach your tentacles out to find these people that are like-minded when i think that sort of you know ties into to uh one of the the things that we're working on with the podcast which mm-hmm. is helping people have access to the tools to have a better life right right yeah and you know, and whether whether it's how to work out or you know whatever mm-hmm. it happens to be, but one of the, one of the biggest things that we're seeing um, with the um, death of religion, right? So that yeah. people had these rituals that you would go yes. do every week. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> well, but, I'm just I'm not religious. I'm just laughing because yeah. I just think it's so funny how you're like it's dead. Well, yeah. well, uh, the the or the. The dying, the decrease, <laughs> the decreased attendance, we'll call it. Yes. Because for a lot of people, that community was, even if they didn't believe it, it they, was a community. It was, it was could, every yes. Sunday. Yeah. And a lot of those and people are people true. you'd hung out with during the week. Yeah. Well, there's been a massive decrease over the last 30 yeah. years in attendance of religious, you know, yeah. services true. or whatever. Sure. But it's been slow for other things to fill in the gap. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you think about, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head. It's like, obviously, if you've got a bunch of passions, right, you climb. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a climbing community. Yeah. Right. You mountain bike. There's a mountain bike community. Yeah. Uh, if you run, um, fuck off, because running makes no sense to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah. Uh, but still makes no sense to me. <laughs> um, you know, but, but, and then with the... Uh, you know, conservation movement mm-hmm. and, the, and the reducing your footprint. There's a whole yeah. community around that. For sure. And these are where we're seeing those things where uh, having community for human beings is one of the, the, the biggest things people need. Yeah. And a lot of people, because it's not like, um, you know, air, food, and water that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it very quickly catches up with you if you don't have them. Yeah. It's one of those kind of like almost slow rots when you don't have community. Yeah. Yeah. There's something missing, but you don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's, you know, been tied to people's longevity, right? Is, is mm-hmm. that when you're surrounded by people you love and people that care about you, you're going to, mm-hmm. you're going to live longer uh, and happier lifestyle. And, and so it's interesting. Some cultures do a really good job of that, of, of keeping them surrounded by their families and, and people they love. Uh, and I would, you know, get that, that they would live longer and, and, you know, typically like, people go live in a home and then they're, you know, in some cases there's a good social environment, but in some cases it's not right. And so, um, yeah, what, you know, at whatever age you're at, yeah. Finding people that are like-minded, uh, and then keeping those people in your life is, is yeah, super key to happiness and healthiness and longevity. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's so simple to have a, a life that's so busy that, yeah. that you don't have any of that. Yeah. You know, my, I mean, my favorite thing now is people like, ask me how are you doing what, what are you up to are you busy and everyone wants to sound and look and be busy but like busy is not that cool actually like when you're too busy then you don't have enough time to have fun right yeah. so it's it's definitely about work-life balance and and so that's been my thing lately is just trying to yeah find more time to go mountain biking with you guys today and and find more time to to play ultimate frisbee or to go play soccer i played soccer the other night 
Um, the other thing that I, I did with a couple of friends uh, a couple of weeks back was we, we created our own Sufferfest mm. where <laughs> one, you guys know Sufferfest from Alex Honnell and, and uh, yeah. Cedar, Cedar Wright. Cedar They've done two of them. Yeah. Well, the one was in, was in Patagonia? Yeah. No, they, they basically it's where they did well, they, one where they were biking yeah, and, where they, and climbing they, all the, the desert towers. Yeah. 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 Uh, anyway, I can't wait. For, there's got to be a number three. I think they've had two, right? Yeah. I, I want a number three. So if, if Alex Honnell listens to your podcast and Cedar Wright listens to your podcast, so let's, let's see it. Number three. We, but, probably uh, got, we probably got more chance at Cedar than we do. With yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alex, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. So, what was but, your so our, my Suffer Fest was created actually by a, like two other, two or three other friends of mine decided that we would get up at 630 in the morning. And in Collingwood, there's uh, about five different ski resorts along this the escarpment. And so we started at one of the ski resorts and ran up the backside of it, up the Pretty River Valley, um, and then back down. So each each run up the hill was anywhere from like three to five or six K, depending on if we made it a loop or not. So we uh, ran up Pretty River Valley, up Osler. We ran over to Blue Mountain, up that hill and back down, over to Craigleith, up there and down, over to Alpine, up and down. Running. Yeah, but each time we would actually, when we would come down, we'd get to our car have a drink, have a bite to eat, and we'd actually drive to the to the next location um, because they're a, bit, a little bit scattered. You couldn't, I mean, you could run them all. I think by the end of the day, we had ran 30K by driving to them all. So 30K, I, I don't run a lot either. I run once in a while with friends for about five to 8K and that's that's good enough. So this Sufferfest was for real Sufferfest for me and, and my friends. And so... Um, the Georgian Peaks is the steepest one. We ended on the steepest hill. And actually, before we did the steepest hill, we, we did jump in the bay for a quick, like, cool off the legs and, and relax. And then and then we went up the steepest one. And But when we got to this, the top of it, because it was so steep, we'd only run, like, a kilometer and a half. So I was like, well, that's not enough. We get back down, we would only have done, like, two, three kilometers. So I said we had to run this extra loop at the top of Georgian Peaks. So it's called the Lori Force Loop, and everyone up in Collingwood would, would know it. So we ran the Lori Force Loop, and then and then ran back down the hill. But all of our legs were done for the next like couple of days. Like it was a truly painful. But I mean, I think that's what we have to do in this day and age. Because I would usually look forward to some type of a mountain bike event or a running event through the summer, and and so you don't have these events going on right now with COVID. So. I mean, that's been my thing is try, try to find other people that want to create another little mini suffer fest that we can go to together with friends and, and get out in the woods. And, you know, I know I'm sure a lot of people are doing their own kind of little mini events, but this, this is something I kind of stumbled on with some friends and I want, I want to do more of it this, this summer. Yeah, there, there's something fun about picking something dumb mm-hmm. and just running yourself into a brick wall. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> coming back to the Earth House, on a bigger level, right? Because obviously... You did this as a, you know your own project, yeah. But do you see a feasibility of like communities um, or subdivisions, if you want to call it, yeah. being developed this way? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Michael Reynolds had that vision as well. Like the just the shape of the house itself lends itself well to being duplexed or or triplexed or whatever, because you could just mm. build this if you had a long property, you know, as long as you want, it needs to face South. That's, that's key in its design, its build placement. But, uh, yeah, you could easily throw walls down, you know, any part of this long U shaped structure out of tires basically is the design. Um, so I, I've, I've had people, I think there's definitely communities out there that want to do that. I haven't heard or seen of any doing that yet. Um, but yeah, there's definitely more and more movement around, you know, building and surrounding yourself with people that are health conscious about their homes. What, you know, one of the interesting things that Michael Reynolds and, and their um, marketing team has done is, is talked about healthy homes in the sense of it being like better uh, for people with cancer or preventative of cancer. Because, you know, when you build a new home, when you move into it, you often have that off-gassing smell of, of paints and fumes of uh, insulation and, and drywall and stuff like that. But there's there's no no drywall, a little bit of drywall in this house, but mostly it's all made of wood. And the amazing thing of, of wood is it's it actually absorbs all, all the any toxins that happen to come into your house space. Um, so, so that's an amazing sort of feature about 
or ships, but you know, there's so many different little unique things, but, uh, I, th- I thought I haven't fully read or watched his, his YouTubes about it, but, but they're kind of doing a little mini series about sort of a, uh, its effect on, on your health in that sense. Um, yeah, so I, I think there's there's many ways that people could could bond around this structure, whether it's because they've got, you know, breathing issues or, or health issues, or or just want to be health conscious and and have fruits and vegetables at their disposal at any time. Um, it it definitely ch- checks a lot of boxes for people and for different reasons. Um, you know, so one of the people that came to the workshop was was a lawyer for for people who who build homes. And so he was hoping that there might be some angle for him as a lawyer that maybe he could service this, this industry and, and help to sort of see it grow. So I think there's a lot of people that are interested in helping to push it along, but it does take a huge leap forward to actually then find the property that you can build on and, and get your plan stamped and, hmm. and be able to move forward with it. So there are a lot of barriers, but that, I mean, they're the same barriers that anyone building their own home for the first time would would have it's just that it's an earthship so it's a little bit different so that's why i always tell people when they're thinking about building an earthship to actually have a mini set of plans that is just a one or two pager to explain to that chief building official before you go and buy the property in the town and find out that that town's actually not really going to be supportive of such an alternative structure even though they have been built in certain places in ontario i i know in certain places in ontario that people have gone to try to build Uh, and then had more roadblocks thrown at them than they could handle as far as their uh, structural testing that they wanted done. So it was just going to be prohibitive to to pay the amount that they wanted for um, literally the extra engineers to do their testing. It was just going to be a lot of field testing, actually. And it it just was... Most of their testing and figuring that they do is just on the computer, and then they go and they give you the plans, and then they come on site and make sure, okay, have have you built it to what me and my computer spec'd out? And then, yes, and then you're good to go. And so it's these these professionals that stamp the plans, then they're the ones that take the liability away from the town because it's not following building all the building of principles that a regular house is built with. That's Mm -hmm. why you need these stamped plans by a structural engineer and a mechanical engineer and the architect because then they make sure it's built to their code, which they know how to sort of bend and straighten the rules so that they work, you know, within Ontario. But again, you've got to meet with that chief building official and say, would you support me in this build or not? And and what kind of what kind of either support would I get or what kind of challenges might I have building this type of a house in in your community? What would you expect from me, right? And then you'll find out whether you're gonna have an easy road or or a tough road ahead of you, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the goal with with my workshops is to sort of answer some of those questions and then try to make that road an easier road for people so that to understand what, what I went through in my process and, and, and my, some of my like failings some things that I learned from, from my build, um, so that they can make theirs that much easier. And I mean, and one of the big lessons is that any builder will tell you that you, you never build a perfect house. There's always bumps in the road and there's always issues and things are always later than they should take and longer than they should take. So you always have to account for that. So that's why, uh, anyone that approaches me, I, like mm-hmm. I say, unless you've got like a huge building crew and you're going to give her in one year with a lot of money behind you, then plan it over two years and just take your time and enjoy the process. I know there's an airship guy who's been building his house for 10 or more, 10 or 15 years. And he's oh, still wow. not finished yeah. it. And this, yeah. I think this is in Orangeville. I haven't been to his place, but he's, he's yeah. had people there. Yeah. And so it took you two years. How on schedule were you? Like how off or like, so like- I was off schedule at the start because I had brought Ted uh, up here from New Mexico. Ted Elsasser was the guy's name who uh, had built for Michael Reynolds and then had his own building crew that he was building in, in New Mexico. But he had a little bit of a lull in his work and, and his wife was actually from Toronto. Mm. And his kids um, yeah. yeah, wanted to see their grandpa. Yeah. So he brought his kids and his wife here and I put them up here in Collingwood and, and her grandpa had moved, her dad had moved from Toronto to Collingwood to retire. Oh, no way. So they stayed here in Collingwood, not with not with their dad, but, um, but in, in Collingwood so that they could visit and hang out with, with her father. And, and then they built their, my house like for six weeks, one summer, and then another eight weeks the next summer. And it was supposed to be two, 
two sets of eight weeks, but those first two weeks, I didn't have my full drawing stamped and ready to go. And so I was waiting on some, some mm. details. So I was two weeks behind and up in an eight week stint where I had this, Got it. this guy with yes. me that was really key to have those all, all eight weeks filled with his. So what I did was I bought myself a flatbed trailer and he started to stick frame out a, a tiny home for me. Um, because I was onto this Airbnb thing really early on and understood mm. that if you had a unique Airbnb space, then you could do some good some good mm-hmm. business in it. So my first Airbnb space was actually um, a treehouse. And I was probably one of the first treehouses on Airbnb. And uh, it was down by the water in the Beer Valley. And I can tell you this because I had to tear it down because the mm. they the neighbors, you know, said something and, and then the conservation authority didn't like its placement because it was, wasn't even up in a tree. It was surrounded by trees, but it was up on a column. And I figured my way around it was that your, your footprint couldn't be more than 10 by 10, um, without a building permit. Well, my footprint was up in the air. So I was like, well, the footprint on the ground is, is only four feet by four feet, but my footprint in the air was 14 by 14 with a deck on either side, windows mm. all around it. And it was a cute little bunkie up in the trees. And so I rented it out on Airbnb for, I think, a couple of years and, and basically made enough to pay back what I put into it. Got it. And, uh, and so it was worth it for me, just the experience and, and to have people have had that experience too. Um, but so I knew that if I built this tiny house, then I could roll it down on, on, on my property there. And if I had any issues with anyone at that point, I could just drive it back out and park it or sell it, you know? Yes. So that was the, the benefit to building this tiny house with, with Ted. Well, I couldn't build my earthship. So, so he was going to do something else. I had to pay for him 45 bucks an hour to do something for me. So this is what I came up with, you know, you got to think on your feet. So, so I, I kept that tiny house and actually just sold it to someone else that runs an Airbnb in the area. Oh Uh, yeah. Actually like at a true bed and breakfast in the area. Okay. So it is on Airbnb? Yeah. Yeah. She probably has just put it on Airbnb this year. Um, that tiny house that yeah. I had built. Yeah. And she's probably done some upgrades and put a deck around it and yeah. stuff like that. I think but it's a neat concept. I mean, mm-hmm. um, we've talked about, we, we watch the TV shows and I mean, yeah. our retirement plan is, if we're still is van life or what? Yeah. Van life. <laughs> Utah. Yeah. <laughs> Hang out in Utah, but, um, who's uh-huh. to say what our health or my health would be like at that point. But I like, I do, here's the thing. Um, so I separated four years ago and went from a house to an apartment. Yeah. I have to say, and maybe it's because I'm just super positive and I embrace what I have. But I've never been happier with less. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like everything I love is in front of me. Uh-huh. I have this lifestyle that I'm active. And, yeah. And the nice thing about having, having a big house is in properties, having to, in my case, I want to go do things. Yeah. You've got the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've, um, I'm intrigued by it, but I have two kids. So the idea of a minimalist lifestyle is a little yeah. difficult when you have two young kids. For sure. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of hashtag van life as well on YouTube and yeah. stuff like that. And yeah, I would love to just jump in a van and travel across Canada and go climbing and mountain biking in different oh, yeah. provinces, right? Like, I mean, that's the dream. Well, one of our previous guests, um, Eric and Alyssa, they mm-hmm. outfitted their, their van yeah. in relatively short time, a year. Yeah, yeah. It's really gorgeous. Yeah, and, and they're er- moving well. Eric did all the work himself. Yes. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's like, you know countertops and cabinetry and yeah you know uh, a sort of a tricky way the bed goes together yeah and turns into the table and right but yeah. he made he made everything yeah, yeah. and you they're know. climbers so mm-hmm. yeah they'll have a yeah. lot of fun they're moving out west yeah. yeah it's so cool but um yeah so you have a workshop coming up and mm-hmm. uh that's end of august yeah uh, i'm not sure if this will be out yeah. by then but nonetheless if anybody's interested do get in contact with you yeah and and if you don't get this one there'll be more in the future at some point yes that's there right. will be so just get in contact with matt yeah Love what you got going on here. Thanks. Yeah, I'm it's happy cool. to show you guys around the airship and teach you a bit more yeah. as, as we kind of walk through it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a great video online giving you a, a fantastic tour. Yeah. Yeah. They can watch that YouTube too. Yeah. Check the show notes below and mm-hmm. uh, uh, we'll include that video because we watched it and it's like, and, and it's funny because the way that they shot it, yeah, you wouldn't know. I, I just got the vibe that it was more out in the country. Right. Um, right. But like mm-hmm. literally... Uh, you know, we we actually missed turning in here on the drive right. by because yeah. you've got the two houses out front. Uh huh. Um, yeah. And you know, so it's a thing. You go in like this driveway, and literally, 
you're just at the edge of Collingwood. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're, you're right. in the city, yeah. but it's I just am. the edge of the town. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's these huge willow trees that surround the property that, that help to kind of hide, hide my little house back here. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think that willow tree is probably close to at least a hundred years old. And it's, it's like, it would take probably four people to, to put your arms around it. You, I don't know if you noticed it on yeah. the way through. That was like one of my draws to this property was this, this massive willow tree. So, yeah. Well, and yeah. it's nice too that, you know, you can have like a property in town, but because you've also got rental units on it, mm-hmm. that it becomes one of those things where if you if you structure things right, yeah, somebody else paid for your house over time. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And then when you, you know, when you are old, mm-hmm. Obviously, everything will be paid for. Yeah. So then the money that comes in from your rentals is just your old age pension. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, that's so. the plan you figured me out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, but that's, it's the kind of thing that a lot of people don't think about. No. Right? Yeah. yeah and I think that um, people are going to be really interested in more of this concept, really. It's mm-hmm. taking more control of your lifestyle, your money, but yeah. also uh, work-life balance, right? Yeah. And being closer to a lifestyle that slows you down a bit. Yeah. Uh, if one thing I've learned through COVID is I've actually taken some workshops on mindfulness Yeah. and I've never done that. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't have a dishwasher at home. So I used to multitask doing that, but now I just really enjoy soaking my hands in warm water and washing yeah. these dishes. Right. You're happy right. with that because you don't have to do dishes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do the cooking. It's so <laughs> your mindfulness in that process you're saying. Yeah. Like, that and yeah. watering my plants. Right. Honestly, if I didn't, cause I, um, face my balcony. So mm-hmm. I see my flowers right. and they make me so happy. And I was yeah. a bit of a spaz during COVID and yeah. getting all anxious. And uh-huh, really uh-huh. I was. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Catherine did buy an entire, before everything closed down oh. for the two months, she did buy an entire shopping cart of dehydrated meals because she thought the world was going to end. Yeah. I mean, lots but of people we, did. She but just wasn't alone. I'm sure oh no. other people thought. But the great part is we actually will use them eventually. So it's <laughs> yeah. fine. I didn't, yeah. I didn't like raise a stink going, we don't need this. You don't yeah. need this. Like, uh-huh. It's like, yeah, well, we'll use them. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. It makes you feel better. Yeah, my approach was I I didn't want to change much of my habits. I just felt it was just too weird to like buy multiple bags of toilet paper and stuff like that. I was just like, no, I'm just going to go buy my one and just take care of myself and hope that, you know, there's other sane people out there in the world. Of course, you know, everyone was different and some people took more than they needed to, but that's that's the world and that's why you build an earthship is so that you can have all the things you need in a house so that's the last thing i should explain is that an earthship is called an earthship because when you get on a ship and you're going to go sail across the world the ship has to have everything in it to to help you sustain and live Mm -hmm. on the ship so that's the idea with the name of the earthship is that it's it's planted obviously in and on the earth but it it should have everything to help you live a, a happy life so it's creating your own power it's collecting your own water it's growing your own food which so it's, there is a big movement. You're hearing more from the idea of a uh, apocalypse is coming and right. survival and yeah. get your guns. Well, if in. you remember, like back in because <laughs> yeah. you're at sale, you're selling a lot of guns. Yeah, like, <laughs> really? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Years. I know. That's I know. crazy. Don't and a lot of them are people up this area. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, because we're the closest. You know, to hunting. Yeah. Uh, well, there's hunting back home you too. Know, open land. Open lane. You yeah. need a lot of open yeah, yeah, space yeah. to hunt. You know, but but it's more just the, the it, you know, when you talk to people where they're from, Got it. Yeah. you get a lot of the people that are sort of north of Cambridge. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, there just isn't a lot. Yeah. Uh, as far as bigger towns go between yeah. here and there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, so, so obviously people know where to check out uh, information about, you know, earth ships. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, check out the video. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was great hanging out with you guys today on the trails. It yeah, it was. Fun. Yes, biking. yes, and we want you to come down whenever you're Yeah, free. I want to come to the Hydro we'll Cut. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, take yeah. you to the Hydro Cut, and I'll take you through a tour through Puss Lynch. Nice. Like yeah, you'll, you'll, the, you're, with your bike, you'll yeah. hate the uphills and you'll love the downhills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, they're, uh-huh. they're ones that can ride all the downhills. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, you're not screaming them. No. Um, yeah. And then with the Hydro Cut, like if you like catching air. Yeah. They've got I do. so many stunts built in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like there's nice. actually one like um, big, well-structured like wooden drop-off. Oh, yeah. But into a transition. Nice. So, you know, yeah. you can huck some good air off that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's a bunch of jumps and everything through uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. Uh, but what's nice is that every technical obstacle just has a... They're marked. Well, they're, the signs, warning, yeah, all that kind yeah, of shit. Yeah, yeah. But then they've got an easy line around them. Right. Then right. You can skip it, yeah. You know, so... Mm-hmm. 
even like a, a trail like Adams Run, which is like their double black diamond. Yeah. Um, you can ride it on a cross country bike. Yeah. It's just if the bigger jumps, you treat them like rollers. Right. And avoid the drop offs. Yeah. Boom. You're good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. That will be fun. Cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Hey, no worries. All right. Mm-hmm. So until next time. I'm Catherine. I'm Winston. Work, Work hard. hard. Play dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>